This is Think Out Loud on OPB. I'm Dave Miller. Affordable housing options that prioritize people with disabilities are limited and wait lists are long. So Community Vision, an organization that advocates for people with disabilities, decided to take matters into their own hands. They recently developed four accessory dwelling units, ADUs, for people with disabilities in the Portland metro area. Kijan Carter is living in one of those units. He joins us now along with his mother, Kristen. And Jennifer Knapp joins us as well. She is the executive director of Community Vision. Welcome to all three of you. Thank, Thank you. you. Thank you. Jennifer, first, can you describe the mission of Community Vision? Of course. So Community Vision serves folks with disabilities, and we provide direct services as well as education and advocacy to ensure that people with disabilities can direct their own lives. How does housing fit into that? Great question. So um, throughout much of the 20th century, disability was seen as a problem to be hidden. Um, And so people with disabilities were kind of separated from everyone else and segregated into into institutions. And so community vision, um, and along with lots of others, is trying to reverse that history. And so um, kind of going against all of that period of exclusion and bringing people into communities so that they and the community can benefit. Can you just give us a sense for the specific housing needs for people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. I mean, we're talking about a very a wide diversity of, of issues that the people that you're helping are dealing with, but, but broadly, what are the housing challenges that they're facing now? So particularly, there's kind of three main areas that we think of when it comes to additional barriers that people with intellectual and developmental disabilities face. So the biggest is affordability. We know, we all know that housing affordability in the metro area is a problem for all of it's us. It's a universal at this point. Exactly. But for people with developmental disabilities, many are either um, working only part-time jobs or living on disability benefits. And so their income is in the extremely low category. And so there's just not enough accessible or affordable units. The second issue is that there's some people who need accessible units, and those are even in less supply than the affordable units. And then the third issue is that many people um, face fair housing discrimination. In fact, 60% of the the claims for fair housing relate to disability. So those are some of the issues that people are up against. Kristen, can you tell us a little little bit about your family? Sure. Um, We have two young adults with autism. And we've been advocating and um, just kind of living with this for about 15, 18 years or so. And we're pretty active in the community, so uh, which led us to Community Visions. Um, how old um, are your kids these days? So my younger son is 19. And Kijan uh, will be 21 in a couple days. What kind of happy birthday almost. (laughs) Thank you. Um, What kinds of housing options did you consider as your sons entered early adulthood? We sat on this for a long time. Um, The only options that were available would be staying within my home. Moving into some kind of like assisted living or group housing. I quickly learned that those options were not available in in Oregon. It's just so limited. I could not find an opening within the state uh, during the time I was researching. Meaning that there are, technically there are some slots, but none of them were available to you. Correct. How, how far away would you have had to go? Idaho. Huh. 
Would it have been affordable? No. Um, so at that, it, not in this state and not affordable. Correct. And at that time, I had started uh, when I was inquiring about availability. I started asking what the cost would be, and it was averaging one hundred and twenty-five thousand dollars per adult per year. Huh. The first option that, that your mom mentioned, Kijan, was that you would be staying in in her house. How would you have felt about that? Well, um, there is a part where it would have felt nice because I'm with people that I know. Mm-hmm. But I know there are times where it's like I want my own space. And since I moved into my own place, like I, I'm next to my family but I'm also having that space and also learning how to live independently. So, so in a sense, the best of both worlds. Right. Well, so, um, Kristen, let's, let's turn to what you actually have right now. When did you first consider the idea of an ADU? It was a few years ago. I started looking into it, and city guidelines uh, weren't allowing for a tiny home. And uh, this is in Gresham, correct? And then when we uh, did start to inquire about those regulations, I couldn't find a builder who was willing to meet them. So I was quite frustrated, um, and we just kind of pondered for a long time, just wondering how we could support him and down the road, his brother to live independently, but somewhat supported without being in a group home or a nursing home setting. Because I mean, just to go back to the, the idea of idea, even if it were financially feasible, how would you have felt about having one or both of your young adult sons be a, an entire state over? I think it would have been a financial burden trying to visit frequently. I wouldn't have been able to support them. Um, The services are different, so I would not have been able to advocate for them appropriately. And I think that for a diagnosis that thrives on, um, on just consistency, me being so far and then being in a new state with new surroundings would not have been a positive outcome for them. Hmm. Jennifer Knapp, to go back to you. So you had talked earlier about the the housing challenges that are particular to uh, to members of the, these populations, people with intellectual or developmental disabilities. How did you then decide to to get into the ADU building world? I mean, why take that on? Yeah, so um, we, about four years ago, we actually launched a housing access program. And so we primarily match people with with disabilities to affordable units. And a lot of those are in big complexes. So big apartment complexes just out in the community. And that works for a lot of folks. But we were also finding that for some people, it just didn't work. And we needed to have some other small creative options. And so that led us down this road to to exploring ADUs. And this was a fairly new concept, as you may know, just in Portland at all. Um, and but Fairly new, although they're, they're also, I mean, people, you can call them granny flats, and maybe that makes it seem like they've been around for longer. Right. I think that phrase is still okay. I don't, I don't know. I mean, they're, they're not completely new. They, they're, they're, right. They've been in backyards for a while at this point in, in some neighborhoods. Great. Yes, correct. 
And also, as the city of Portland and others are interested in infill and trying to be able to get more uh, density within our community, there has been more openness from a policy perspective and permitting perspective, at least theoretically, uh, into to more ADUs. And so uh, we were interested in, in that, um, particularly for folks with disabilities for whom having their own walls was pretty important and not being next to other people. How did you decide who to help for these first four ADUs? Yeah, so we um, received some funding from the CUNY Foundation to launch this project, so we're super grateful to them. And really what we wanted to do is find people who caught the vision. Um, and so there, we had several different ways. So we had one nonprofit owner who was building an ADU. We had um, Kristen and Kijan as another example. Um, and then we had another homeowner. So we tried to get different options because we were really wanting to prove that this could work. Hmm. Kristen, how did you hear about this? I mean, in particular, community vision saying we're actually going to we're going to help people build their own ADUs. There was a funding bill. I was on the board of directors for um, Proud Ground, which is a land lease program. And uh, I was testifying uh, over Zoom on a previous or on a different funding bill. And um, Community Visions was there also testifying. And I heard them mention the ADU. And it spiked my interest. So I uh, followed up with them. I was definitely ready to get involved and just to see if it would work. And it did. Hmm. Kijan, can you describe your home? Like, are we like physically? Or yeah, like, physically. Like when I first moved in, it was completely different. <laughs> like I, the first morning I woke up wondering where I was, I was like, what? <laughs> but, um, it's physically a perfect fit for me. Um, there was one point where I thought it was going to be too small for me, but it was. It's perfect. What does it have in it? Um, <laughs> um, definitely have two bedrooms, one bathroom, uh, one laundry room, and like the kitchen and living room. Uh, I do have an attic. Haven't gone up there yet. <laughs> <laughs> What's your favorite part of your new home? My favorite part is my spare room, my second room, because huh. um, that's where I go to like relax and do some typing on my computer, my little workspace. Have you ever had your own home like that before? Your own private space? No, uh, not as much as I have now. <laughs> I mean, maybe a bedroom before. Yeah. But now you have your, your own with a separate entrance, I understand. Yeah. <laughs> What's it like? It's It has definitely made me feel like organized and I'm I'm grateful that I have like more room to myself and it makes me feel very comfortable. Hmm. More organized. Kristen, is that something that, that you've noticed as a mom? I have seen, yes, I've seen Kijan flourish in the time he's been out there. The goals that we have been working on for years in therapy, I think we're inadvertently hindered when your mom is right there 10 feet from your bedroom um, when someone else is doing your laundry and cooking all your meals and and you know doing the hard cleaning and managing your appointments so goals connected to uh, to independence yeah independent living and daily living skills because you were helping out 
Correct. Or doing the work. It's just, it's kind of natural when you're running a household that, you know, all the laundry gets picked up and washed and such. So now that he's out there, I'm seeing him take control of his own life, you know, learning how to organize his appointments and contact his providers and communicating uh, much more clearly. And I just see him growing. Huh. Kijan, I mean, do you feel like you've you've learned more skills because you're pretty much I mean, sort of on your own right now? Uh, yes, I I feel like I've learned a lot due to like my mom said, like I've through years of therapy, like learning how to be independent and take care of myself, and I feel like my house was a great test to put to those skills and I've gotten really I've gotten much better at it <laughs> if you're just tuning in we're talking right now uh, about the ADUs four ADUs for adults with intellectual or developmental disabilities that the nonprofit community vision created recently Jennifer Knapp is the executive director of community vision Kijan Carter and his mother Kristen are with us as well Kijan is living in one of these ADUs it's attached to his family's house and has a separate entrance Jennifer did you all make specific design choices f- to to benefit the populations that you're working with? Or are these sort of off-the-shelf ADUs? Yes, these are all customized. And so as we talked about a little bit before, there are s- certainly some people with disabilities who have accessibility needs. And so uh, several, two of the ADUs, we were able to make fully accessible. For um, a wheelchair, say. Yes, exactly. So... As you can imagine, with ADUs, the pro and con is the pro is you don't have to go get your own space. You can use whatever space is there. The con is you have to work with that space. And so there were of, of these four, there were several um, that due to the slopes and just the size of the lot, we weren't able to make fully accessible. And so the, the builder worked with us to make it work as well as possible, knowing that not everyone needs that physical accessibility, but some do. What's the financial model here? I mean, who's who's paying for these? Who owns them? And how much can this scale up? Yeah. So each of the, the four examples have different ownership models. So two of them, as I mentioned, are owned by a nonprofit. One is owned by the Carter family. And then another is owned by a homeowner who is willing to have a person, a tenant in her yard. Um, so we tried to have these different options. On purpose. Exactly. To, to test out different financial models. Exactly. And knowing that likely as a nonprofit, we have a little more flexibility uh, that we can borrow against uh, where with individual families, then you have to take out loans and, and navigate that. So the grant funding that we were able to secure from the Cooney Foundation helped to decrease those costs. Um, but the families still committed to um, helping to pay for it and then um, community vision as well. So it's kind of a m- multiple organizations coming together. And then actually for this particular one, um, since it was a, a two bedroom, we were able to get Hacienda CDC was also working on an ADU project. And so they were able to to get involved as well. Hmm. What do you see? Maybe do you see a connection between work like this and homelessness prevention. Absolutely. So within our housing program, we have served about 10% of the folks that we support have been homeless. Previously. Yeah. So actually coming right from a homeless situation. So certainly that is on our minds. And I think 
because of the lower cost point for ADUs and tiny homes, we're able to to actually have full homes, but that can certainly support people who are coming out of homelessness. Kristen, I saw you nodding when I asked that question about homelessness. Is that something you've thought of? Absolutely. I think it's one of the biggest fears as a special needs parent is what is going to happen to my child, especially once I'm gone. And now knowing that they will never be homeless has relieved such a huge burden You know, there's so many things that come with having a child with a diagnosis, but having that alleviated and just knowing that my kids are going to be okay um, just changes a lot for us. It just brings overall tone down in the family. What are your medium-term plans right now? Because we've been talking about this this ADU right now where Kijan is living, but you, you have a younger adult son as well. So what's yes. what's your larger plan right now? So right now, um, Kijan's continuing to work with his uh, therapist for his daily living skills, progressing, uh, and then as is my youngest son. And once we feel like Kijan has had enough time to live independently and my younger son is ready to start living more independently, we will transition him into that second bedroom. Um, We have also discussed that if Kijan should move on one day or once I pass, maybe he wants to live in the main house or live elsewhere, that provides a bedroom where my younger son, who's more impacted, could have a live-in care provider. Hmm. And all of this was was the plan from the beginning. Yes. So a kind of... So, Kijan, for you, a kind of stepping stone potentially to um, a more independent housing situation. Yeah. (laughs) What are your hopes for your future right now? Um, Really? uh, Like my mom said, just like not to be homeless. (laughs) Um, But I definitely, well, I'll definitely live in there for maybe a few years. And then when it comes to that point, I'll probably maybe move into the main house. Um, I think I'll think about it way more once it like comes to that right. point. That's that's a couple years in the future at this point. Right. You've just moved in within like about, about, about half a year ago. Is that right? Uh, yeah, it's, about, it's pretty close to being a full year, yeah. yeah. Hey, Jennifer, are, are more ADUs in the works? I mean, I'm wondering how how big this is going to get. Yes, that's our hope is... So we want to just create this pilot and learn. We learned a lot. Learned a lot about the permitting process, and those are hopefully going to be more streamlined as we look towards the future. But our our goal is at this point probably maybe one to two per year, knowing that this is not the solution that that can solve all of the housing crisis. Um, but for the places where it works, I think it can really make a difference. Um, before we. Go. I mean, you've mentioned now a couple times uh, in passing the permitting. I, I thought that I mean, there was a statewide bill that was supposed to make this the the law of the land. You know, n- no more single family zoning. If if people wanted to build cottage clusters or duplexes or triplexes, they had to uh, the city had to let them do so. Portland has. Uh, you know, has been working on its own sort of similar rules even before that. So I thought. I mean, cities have said that they've worked this out. If you could 
change city policies right now in Gresham or Portland or, or wherever, what would you do to make it easier for people to put in different kinds of homes? The main thing would be to just have a streamlined process. So that is what all these cities are working on. And I know, I do believe that they are working on it. The, th- the theory is that it would be an actually only a six-week process as opposed to having to go back and forth and back and forth to so many different people. Jennifer Knapp, Kristen Carter, and Kijan Carter, thanks very much. Thank you. Thank you. Coming up tomorrow on the show, Oregon lawmakers are about halfway through their 2024 session. We're going to get an update on what they've done and what they're still working on. If you don't want to miss any of our shows, you can listen on the NPR app, on Apple Podcasts, or wherever you like to get your podcasts. Our nightly rebroadcast is at 8 p.m. Thanks very much for tuning in to Think Out Loud on OPB and KLCC. I'm Dave Miller. Have a great day. Think Out Loud is supported by Steve and Jan Oliva, the Rose E. Tucker Charitable Trust, Ray and Marilyn Johnson, and the Susan Hammer Fund of the Oregon Community Foundation. Music.